0: Well, welcome. We are on Try Catch podcast, and we're going to talk about something that everyone should care about, and that's personal user security. We have a special guest, and we have some people from Farm Credit Service America. These guys know a lot about security, so I'm going to let them do most of the talking, and I will let them go around and introduce themselves.
1: Cool. Sounds good. Thank you for inviting me here, by the way. My name is Serge Borso, and I am the owner of SpiderSec out of Denver, Colorado. We perform a lot of penetration testing services and security awareness training as well. I've been doing this for about 15 or so years now, and I'm happy to share the knowledge that I have.
0: Thank you for being here.
2: Hi. I'm Reese. Holy <laughs> dev. I do amazing things. That's about it.
0: <laughs> and you have a wealth of knowledge. And it shows in your everyday work.
2: Yeah, that's what people say. And then they usually laugh. <laughs> and they're <laughs> like, oh, you're so funny, Reese. <laughs> <Okay.
3: laughs> <laughs> I'm Zach, and I am uh, the AppSec engineer here at Farm Credit. Haven't been here very long, but enjoying it so far.
0: Right. Glad to have you at Farm Credit. I'm Natalie, and I'll be hosting. Um, and I'm going to let these smart guys talk about security. So I know, sir, this was a topic that you were passionate about wanting to share. Why is this important, and why is this something you want to talk about?
1: Okay, so from my perspective, as far as cybersecurity is concerned or personal security, and really protecting the individual, that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, a lot of us work for organizations, and depending on our job roles, we really focus a lot of our time and energy on protecting the business, which, of course, is critical especially if we get paid to do it, you know, (laughs) kind of an important thing to do. What I'm seeing though, is that a lot of the controls we put in place from a personnel perspective directly translate to personal security. What I mean by that is what you're doing at the office to help secure your company often translates to stuff you could be doing at home to help secure your home network and your own personal assets. And that could be anything for your own PII, your you know, SSN, credit card information, bank account information, things that are near and dear to you for privacy concern, but also things you wouldn't want an attacker to necessarily gain access to. So it translates. It goes across the spectrum of where we put our effort into the workplace, using that information to secure ourselves as well. And I'd like to, I'd like to focus on that when I can, because when we have better personal hygiene, a security hygiene, I should say,
0: <laughs> it's good to have both. <laughs>
1: <laughs> doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, we have that you know, security hygiene. It's it, uh, not uncommon for it to the user or the person, the employee, as the case may be, to have it transcend from what you do at home to what you do at the office. So if you wouldn't open a malicious link at the office, you, know, you kind of take that to heart and do the same thing at your house. You don't do that type of behavior. And the more education you get, probably at the workplace or outside the workplace, wherever you get your podcast from the knowledge you can share and usually utilize that in both locations. So i like to kind of reinforce the corporate training with uh, you kind of live it. You live this whole experience of locking down your personal information. You take control of it and really you focus your efforts in on the things you have control over because a lot of things are outside of our control. But that's kind of why I like this topic. And of course it's, I feel relevant for many of us out there.
0: Right. I know we live in a very digital world where it's important to protect your private data because it can get abused. And I know one of my girlfriends, her husband, he brings his security work into home and then she's like, God damn it, what's the password? Because <laughs> it's like so darn long and like encrypted and not meaningful. <laughs> yep. But what, what are ways that we can be more secure?
1: That's a fair question. And it's broad, too. So th- I'll touch on something you just mentioned, passwords. When I am, and I find myself doing this a lot, I find myself creating accounts on random websites. They're not random, of course, but for business, for personal reasons, for some quasi reason, I create another account somewhere because I have to. The example I gave earlier this week when I was talking to a few folks here was uh, a land transaction, selling a, a piece of property that I own. And to get the PDF, I have to sign. I can't. They can't just send me the PDF in an email. No, that would be too easy to do. So they have to send it to me via an encrypted channel. What does that equate to? It means I have to go to a third-party website, create another account on another website, and when I say another. This is like probably 100, 150, well over 100 websites I have accounts on, and I know this because of what I'm about to get into, which is password security. Very basic hygiene, basic security hygiene password strength, password complexity, password reuse. It's a huge thing that we can control ourselves if we're so inclined to do so. The way we go about doing something like this as it pertains to passwords is use a password vault or password safe. And the hopefully a lot of folks who are listening to this podcast right now kind of have the background to know what, what that is. For the people not familiar with password vaults or password safes, it's basically an encrypted database local to your either mobile device or more likely on your desktop. So you download some third-party software. It encrypts all of your passwords for you. How does this work? I create a new third-party website within there. I say, here's the URL. Here's my username. Here's my password. Here's some notes. Here's the URL. So it's all saved for me. So I know when I created it, my notes section in there. I know what my username is. I know what my password is. But the key here is I don't know any of it, which is kind of odd based on what I just said. I don't remember it is the point. My password vault remembers it for me. Therefore, when I have to go log back into that website again, I can look at my notes and say, oh, this is why I created this entry four months ago. This is what it was for. And here's some other useful information about it. But more importantly, copy the username, paste into the website. Copy the password, paste into the website, click Submit. I have no idea what the username is. I have no idea what the password is. But it just works. And because of this, I'm able to get the benefit of never having duplicate passwords on any of those 150 different websites that I have accounts on. And of course there's a huge drawback to this, (laughs) but that works for me. You have a different email address
2: per account as well, or do you uh, just have one email address through
1: them all? Right. So thanks Reese, (laughs) multiple accounts. And there's another thing. So, you know, A lot of us probably use Gmail or ProtonMail, depending on what we care about for a privacy concern. So depending where I'm registering that new account at, a lot of times, as you alluded to, the username is your email address. And I have to really think through which email address do I use. One of the several that I have, I have to think through, are they going to spam me? Is this a one-time type of thing? I have to sign up for a service to get the little thing that I want, and then I'm never ever going to log in there again. And I kind of make that choice based on, if I think I'm going to need to use this as a prominent website or a website I trust or something I might have a, a long-term relationship with as opposed to just some spam that is one-time type of thing. And then from there, different email addresses being used. Hence, the use of the password vault where, I, like I said, I don't remember what email address I used for what website. And I've got burned many times by that, by not using a password vault and forgetting. And they had to set a password reset. Well, which email address that I used to create that account with. (laughs) It's kind of self-defeating. So notes definitely come into play for that. And like I said, password reuse. When one of these third-party websites gets compromised, what a lot of us know happens is the attackers now gain access to the database of passwords. If you have a weak password or the website isn't hashing the password properly with the right algorithm, it becomes very easy to crack that password. And now it's exposed and the attackers potentially have my email address and a password for a website, which gains some access to my account, hypothetically, on that website. But no other website that I have an account on is now part of that data breach because I use a different password every single place I go to. That's kind of the way I look at it.
3: I like that. I like any time that you can use a really long password on any website, especially if you don't know it. If it's really long, you can copy and paste. Right. It's fantastic. It's and awesome. At our last first Friday, we shared how easily and how quickly some hashes can be Cracked. Right. So you gotta you gotta have a nice and long password.
1: Ideally. Ideally. And that's the thing, I mean the password vault accounts for that. So you can set password complexity requirements in there. I usually put mine eighty to ninety-nine characters about. And like I said, I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. I copy and paste it. It's period done. That's pretty long.
0: It is I was thinking about you.
1: <laughs> it's harder for the attackers. Well, hypothetically, depending on how the application deals with it. And that goes hand in hand with some of the other interesting concepts. Some of this is us, as users of the application, choices we can make and have control over. Do I want to turn on two-factor? That's my choice, if the application allows it. If the application doesn't offer two-factor, that's not really a choice I can choose. What can I choose? A complex password, if the application supports it. You know, It's not uncommon to go to a website and 12-character max, 24-character max, or you know, I copy and paste my 80-character password in it doesn't meet complexity requirements for some reason <laughs> because the application is poorly coded. But there's things the the point of this is there's things that we can do that's going to directly impact our own security, not reusing passwords, not, you know, remembering passwords, things like this. And there's things we have to rely upon the applications that we deal with to help protect us against. So it's a kind of a shared responsibility if you think about it from that perspective.
0: So I think like password complexity and making it hard I think the the average user knows that and they understand that, but they it's like oh I know I need to brush my teeth every day. That one's over over to oversimplify it. <laughs> but like you know sometimes I don't I don't want to I want it or convenient. You're saying or, you saying you know, don't brush your teeth every day? No, it's a horrible <laughs> example. <laughs> this, um, <laughs> how about, I know I need to work out every day. Let's 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 All give right. something that's more more Kyle. common. <laughs> 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 I know I need to for my health. I need to work out every day. But, like, you know, you don't always... You just want, like, oh, I'm just going to skip today. Or, like, you know, I just want the convenience. Right. Like, like, what's the reason to to really hammer in why that's so important to do?
1: Great question. And I I appreciate that. I think from one perspective, it's it's going hand-in-hand with the responsibility piece to this. If you are going to take it seriously and... Of course, it depends. If you're going to that one time use website, right? If you download a PDF, I'm going to do it once. It's not really that critical. Do I really need to have a complex password that's unique? I'm going to say, yeah, I'm of course going to do that because I'm aware that I don't have control over their security. And when they get compromised, my password's not compromised. And if I get lazy.
3: When they get compromised. There you go.
1: Thank you. When that happens. And how long is it going to take them to find out about it? How long is it going to take them to communicate it to me? Are they ever going to communicate it to me? Because it doesn't go undetected for years. The point is, the attackers don't just breach that one little useless website. I shouldn't say useless, but as far as I'm concerned, it's not that valuable website. Low risk, no PII is being shared, but now they have an email address associated with me. And now I, I get lazy and reuse that same password somewhere else. So it's another ho-hum website, not important, no PII, and you start doing that. You start getting the habit of, I know I should be using a password vault or having a complex unique password, but you stop doing it. And then you have five breaches and 10 breaches that occur over the course of a year. Who knows? Now, that's all on, I don't want to say the dark web, but it's out there, right? For motivated attackers who are actively looking for that information, they're going to find it. And they are motivated enough to connect the dots between, here's your account over here. And you may not have a lot of PII. It was your email address, but over here you gave your real name. And over there you actually had to give a a physical address and you start connecting the dots of all these different breaches and all the different PII. It builds upon itself. So it's the hygiene thing. I know we should be doing it. Sometimes it's easier. And arguably, not much of an argument, it's super inconvenient, quite frankly. Especially I touched on the word mobile device. Yeah, I have a password fault on your mobile device. And now you got to trust, well, if you're on Android or iOS, that your operating system is secure enough. The other caveat, the huge caveat to this, is those of us who are, are less IT-savvy, you set a weak password for that password vault, you could totally shoot yourself in the foot, so to speak. Or if you're you're not doing basic security hygiene, not installing patches on your operating system, or you have malware on your computer, now you're just giving the attackers all of your passwords in one nice centralized location. So you're completely defeating the purpose of doing this to begin with. So it's not easy. It's, so I
3: should... Are you saying I should click on that update button in the corner? I <laughs> if it's real,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you know if it's real? <laughs> and th- that's the thing. I mean, that's it's like not brushing like brushing your teeth. There I'm you just go. There's yeah. 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 <laughs> no panacea. It's not like you get a password vault. That's not the whole point of this conversation, right? It's it's something you can do, and if you use it properly, and you're educated on it, and you do all these other security hygiene things, then this could definitely enhance your security posture as a human. But of course, if you screwed up, you're not really helping yourself at all.
3: So a gentleman that I know through various conversations, he just flat out tells me, I believe that all my information is completely hacked and out there. So I don't worry about it. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Wow. What a nice, uh, ostrich in the sand <laughs> the mentality to <they> have. <laughs> yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Well, that's not really ignorance, but that's more of a easy way out, man. Jeez. I hear that a lot though. I hear that more than i like to hear it. It's defeatist attitude. I don't buy into that. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. With the OPM breach, anybody listening to this or had, uh, had worked, yeah, there we go, a couple yeah. of hands being raised in here, uh, worked in the sector where you had to submit your data to the federal government as part of government contract work or whatever the case may be in the military. We had our fingerprints taken. I had FBI come to my house, knock on my neighbor's doors, interview me multiple times, ask for my parents' information, parents' SSNs, all part of my background investigation. And that all got breached. We pointed the finger at China. We said that was Chinese. It's okay. It is what it is. And when you have something that deep, like your biometrics being compromised, I can see the mentality of your friend making that statement. And other folks make that same statement. I get it. Everything's already out there. It's already been breached. All these companies we deal with have been compromised. All my PII is out there. I'm just not going to worry about it. I don't buy into that, per se. While what we just said is absolutely true. The OPM breach did occur. Other, you know, Equifax breach did occur. (laughs) There's a lot of sense of information on all of us out there, not just the breaches, but the stuff we're freely sharing with companies like, you know, Facebook and the, the big three, big five out there. So the fact that, and it is a fact that our PII is out there, it doesn't mean that we can't still take some control of our information that we do divulge. Go back to the hygiene thing, just because... Uh, I'm not going to use a good noun. Yeah, i I'm going uh, to don't brush my teeth. Well, the word triggered that in my Sorry. brain. Sorry. <laughs> that
2: ship has sailed. Let's so go back the other way. SXM is <laughs>
1: compromised. PII is compromised. That doesn't mean I'm going to go start just freely giving away to everybody that asked me for it, which a lot of companies still do ask for your social security number and your PI. So you want to limit your exposure. And that's perhaps a slightly different topic Definitely within those conversations realm, though. So I, I want to touch on that. But what do you say to someone like that? I'd say if you you're kind of just given up on it, you know. And I don't think that's really the appropriate course of action. Not you're pay the price. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think cut
2: off. I think what you add to that would be just don't make it easy for them. Don't make it easier. It's probably the even if it's out there. How many sites I've been on signed up to? Yeah, I just don't want to make it easier.
1: Yeah, it's, it's threat modeling. So if China has all this information is the Chinese government going to come after you? And you got to think what would be the motivation for an attacker to use this information against you? Is it to commit identity theft? Is it some low level punk off the street who dumps in, dives in a dumpster and sees you fill out a form for this company. They threw it in the trash, all your PIs on the form. You made it super easy for that low level criminal to impact your life significantly. If a nation state wants to go after you can't do much about that. Right. But if it's just some, something you could have easily avoided had you put a little more effort into it, now it's like, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't have the mentality of it's all out there. I don't really care about it. It's You still have control. You want to think through how it's going to impact you, your life, your family's life. And for anybody listening to this who's ever had to deal with identity theft, you know what I'm talking about. It's not a fun time. So that's kind of what I'd say to that.
0: Any other advice that you have? So there's the password, hygiene, minimizing the risk.
1: Yeah, that limited exposure piece to it. To touch on that just a little bit more, a lot of companies we do business with, historically, they'd ask for probably more information than they really need to ask for. The example I've given in the past is going to a college or university 10 years ago, 15 years ago, perhaps even to this day, I don't know. They ask you for a bunch of PII, including your social security number. It wasn't uncommon for them to ask that information. And then all of a sudden, your student ID is your social security number. And it's just strewn across. It's on all your paperwork, on your uh, syllabus. It's everywhere. And Nowadays, when I get asked for PII like Social Security, I still get this. Give me your Social Security number for this transaction to go through, and I say no. Period. I don't give it out. It's it's unless it's I'm opening a bank account, which I haven't need to do in a long time, or have no need to do that, or a financial transaction type of thing. You don't need my SSN, credit card number. S- similar concept there. At least you have some protections. The other thing, um, like credit card versus debit cards, if something happens to your credit card information. That's third party. That's Visa's kind of domain there, and they'll back you up to an extent. Mastercard backs you up to an extent. If it's your own like personal debit card that gets compromised or your debit account, now you're talking at you a fight with your financial institution to get your money back. Not quite apples to apples comparison, but the point is, if you can limit your exposure, how much information you share with entities, just doing regular business on day to day type of you know mentality there. It's eBay based. eBay based. You sign up for the gym, like fill out this huge form. You go to the doctor's office, fill out this huge form. Like, no, here's my name. Here's my address so you can bill me for it. And here's a throwaway email address so because you, you're going to spam me. And here's maybe a Google voice number. Because when you get compromised, I don't want all my sense of information to become part of that compromise either. So limit your exposure. And it's going to maybe upset some people. And it may make your life more difficult. It certainly made my life more difficult. I'll tell you that right now. But when those companies get compromised, my information is not part of that data dump
0: will they still service you
1: are you able to they care about the money Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's been my experience you got the money they'll service you absolutely and you don't want to be a jerk about it you know you got to play it cool but it's like this is the information you probably need and just because you have some arcane form that you someone developed 15 years ago and you're still using it to this day it doesn't mean i have to fill it out if i want your service and of course they have the right to refuse service depending where you go to but you got to take that into consideration good tips
0: Resack, do you guys have anything on personal user security?
3: I do use a password vault, and I have it so that it works across devices. I've been using it for a while, and I have now gotten used to it. So anytime I make a new account, I'm always using it. And I like that it reminds me when passwords expire. It's up to me to change them or to rotate them. But when they're long enough, sometimes it's okay if they do them expire. They can't be hacked in the amount of time it, the expiration goes through. Oh, we're okay. Somebody was talking about that, I guess, LastPass is something that might come around here. And that would be a good opportunity for people to jump in and use it as a for their own personal stuff as well. Or at least they get a sample out here and then maybe use it at home.
1: Yeah, if it's corporate sanctioned, there's an enterprise version of LastPass. Pretty cool. It's education, so stuff like this podcast, making sure people know the pros and cons of a tool like that. The password expiration was kind of an interesting thing that you brought up. Like NIST guidelines, a lot of us, at a point in time, we followed NIST. It was... Every 90 days, you change your password. And for someone like myself who would have an extremely complex, long passphrase, that really hampered my motivation to continue using long, complex passphrases because I can't, I'm a human, I can't remember that. If I actually have to type it in, in the certain situations where you have to type it in, like you can't log into your machine until you type in a password, and that's where your password vault is at. So, chicken and egg type of thing there. You can't just copy and paste that input box for your operating system. So, Complex requirements, to go follow that conversation. It's more of a NIST now says if it's long and complex, I think you've got a good year before you need to rotate that. And that's kind of where I'm sticking. 90-character password, I'm good for a year, I'd say.
3: Uh, yeah, plenty, plenty more than a year, probably. More than likely, yes. It's a little while. <laughs> yeah, th- I think this is minimum eight right now.
1: I think you're right. It goes back to what service are you using? So if it, we're talking web, we have to understand that not all web the services are created equally. And the example here would be Yahoo. Yahoo chose to hash with MD5 hashes. For those who are not familiar with it, the example I gave was we're talking billions of hash cracks per second. An attacker with a reasonable amount of hardware could throw at that. So if I have an MD5 hash password, it's a limited fixed-length string, and I could guess billions and billions of guesses per second. You hash that same password with something like bcrypt with multiple rounds and a good salt, now we're talking, I can guess, maybe tens of thousands of guesses per second, which is considerably less than billions, with a B, per second. So that's something you don't have control over. If you're the web developer, yeah, sure, you control that. But if you're just a user going to a website, you don't know what they're hashing it with. <laughs> you don't know if it's plain text. So the 90-character password, if it's plain text, does be no good at all. So, yeah, take that into consideration, because you don't know what the third-party tool is using to protect your information, if anything.
3: I just want to go back. Eight characters is too short. If NIST says it's good, I don't say it's good. <laughs> I'm not better than NIST, but you need at least like 12.
1: 12, 15. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll have to remember a few things. The password vault doesn't save your life for everything, but you know, probably a couple, maybe to decrypt your hard drive, one to log into your operating system, one to decrypt your vault. That's three right there you probably have to remember off the top of your head, and then the rest can maybe go into your vault. And then are you syncing across devices? Part of this conversation can revolve around isolation, meaning not to be someone who's going to isolate themselves from society, but more of a conversation about, let's say we have a mobile device and it's not updated as much as it should be. Or you share it with someone who likes to install a lot of apps <laughs> that have some vulnerabilities built into it. And you have a password vault on there or you're whatever you log into websites on your mobile device and the device itself has vulnerabilities. Now you're looking at another, you know, potential area of compromise right there. So for something like that, what I typically do is I increase my security by decreasing my convenience. And what I mean by that is I don't have a bunch of synchronized web apps or synchronized accounts on my mobile device. I typically use a desktop to log into these different things. I keep my, my password safe on the desktop, not on my mobile device. I'm assuming that my mobile device is not as secure as it probably could or should be. It's like it's not like it's Microsoft Windows where Windows, Microsoft pushes it down updates and I get them every month. With my device, depending if you're running Android or iOS, you may not get those updates for six months, and you don't have control over that, especially if you have a lot of, thir- like I said, third-party apps you're installing. Now you're trusting all the other contents on your device to be secure, and it's tough to really have that security when you have all that untrusted third-party software running on there. So it's, it's tough. It's not easy. And it's like I said, it's inconvenient and annoying, quite frankly, sometimes to raise the bar of security. But uh, you got to measure it out make those choices for yourself
0: it's like what's cost effective I like, I like that how you say that increased security means less convenience and yep. more of a pain
1: it, I'm being honest yeah. quite frankly and I think there's a lot of good use cases for that like two factor authentication <laughs> yeah it's great solid super annoying to do depending on how you have it set up now I have to carry around another mobile device with me and I, have, I have to what, have SMS messages being sent to me or voice messages being sent it slows down the whole process it's definitely more secure, but you're, you're taking a hit there from your convenience. And it's not for everybody. This extra enhanced security, I'm not saying go out and do it. Everything I'm saying, oh, go enhance your security by doing X, Y, and Z. You can if you choose to, but you've got some caveats when you make those choices, as with anything else in life.
0: So earlier we were talking, and Reese, you had asked a question. Hmm. What would you tell your dad, or i.e., for those that are less tech-savvy?
1: Yeah, Reese asked me this. <laughs> uh, I was like, "Oh man, I don't really have a good answer for that. <laughs> I oh, go to go to IT. <laughs> <laughs> I told Reese to make a a video for his dad <laughs> on YouTube <laughs> and give it to him as a Christmas present or something. <laughs> um, I'm not good with uh, that audience the the non tech savvy audience. When I'm speaking to to people, it's usually they have IT experience, and I'm not great at tailoring the message always to zero tech savviness and not assuming that your parents don't have any tech savviness. I'm just saying I can speak to director, C level people that have limited experience, but at least they know what the web is and what a browser is. I'm thinking my dad, in my head, he doesn't turn the computer. He doesn't know how to turn the computer on. I taught him how to do it, but he doesn't touch the computer. So that's in my image in my head of the, the type of person I'd have to explain this to. It, it'd be a little bit challenging. I would say at a low level, Password vaults, are not really going to work there. That's way too technically savvy. Some of the stuff I've already Maybe talked about, Maybe really. we
2: could refine the question. How would you instruct a C-level? Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leverage your IT department. You're paying good money for them. Darn. <laughs> there's just no way out of this one. Uh, well, there's there's choices you can make. I, I touched on the mobile device thing, and I alluded to some of us using Android versus iOS. And I'm not an Apple person, I'm not an Android, I'm I'm agnostic. I don't care what you use. Both can be secured, both can be insecure. Nevertheless, by default, some platforms are in a better position to be more easily defended because they're not as popular. I'm thinking Linux in my head, (laughs) okay, versus, but then, yeah, so I don't know. There's a little bit of that. Uh, C-level person, I'd say, probably what i say to a lot of other people, uh, threat modeling. What are you really trying to protect against? You got to answer that type of question. What do you think someone's going to do that's going to cause harm to you or your company? What's the event that's going to happen in your life that you need to protect against? And then from there, you know, if you're worried about getting to a car accident, you put your seatbelt on. You buy a car that has airbags. You don't really think twice about it. Are you worried that you're going to get some ransomware in your environment? Well, then you got to start thinking about endpoint detection and enterprise security and spending a lot of money on other devices in the network. If you're talking about back to the conversation about personal security, what do you think is going to happen? Someone's going to steal your PII. Someone's going to access your bank account. If that's the case, it'd be something simple as, does your bank offer two-factor authentication? If so, turn it on. Change your password. Make it long, complex. Something like that. The basic essentials that I'd probably tell anyone, as long as they understand the basics of IT and kind of what these words mean, they'd probably be in a pretty good spot. But really asking the question of, what am I trying to protect against? And then answering that in the legitimate way that's gonna make sense. That's not gonna be exorbitantly expensive or totally useless because it's never gonna happen. So trying to get in the kind of the middle ground of time and effort versus money and outcomes, things like that.
3: I think that's the hardest thing is to get like the non tech friends or family members to follow your advice. Like, Oh yeah, you're the tech expert, I don't need to do that stuff. Well, <laughs> let me let me let me help you <laughs> to be
2: clear I was asking if you had any resources that explains it in such a way that you can level up your your family members dad to yeah. like and, and he say turned around and I mean you should make a youtube video I'm like no,
3: I, <laughs>
2: I was wondering if you anything that you really say, that's good stuff.
3: Yeah. I actually send an email about once a year to my family and say, hey, here's your friendly reminder about <laughs> password security. <laughs> Zach security, I got you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, subscribe uh, I, to that I think one. The, best, I, the, the farthest I've gotten was, you know, maybe at least use a different password for, like, Facebook than your bank. You know, just start there. Yeah. I don't know if they do it.
1: It's yeah. okay. Don't I don't follow up. I don't take that approach. I don't bother people about it. I assume that most people, what Zach mentioned, like, yeah, it's it's already out there anyway. Probably don't care about it. I gave the example in a previous conversation about Target, Home Depot, those type of breaches. People still shop there. I don't know how much people really care. I, I hate to say it like that, but for those reasons in my head, I don't offer the information, I'm happy to talk about it and give my two cents on it, but I don't go out of my way to send an email no, to friends and family. <laughs> uh,
3: just, just to the family. Just to the family. This is they security. tell security. Because the, they tell me what they do, and it just cringes. It just right. makes me cringe. Yes. So I can't, I can't not.
1: So what I'm I sorry. do is, on my home network, if I'm going to have some people come over, or my own family, <laughs> for that matter, <laughs> isolation and segmentation. But, so I don't trust... Thanks for coming over (laughs) to the guest network with you. Here's a guest network for you. (laughs) It's segmented off from the rest of my internal network. (laughs) So, yeah, you can use Wi Fi, but you can't talk to any of my devices on my network. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's kind of the approach I take. You can be as insecure as you want, but it's not touching my network. (laughs) That's
0: great. You're not a trusted source. No,
1: no. Awesome.
0: All right, thank you all. And that's a wrap.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. Happy to be here.